You are listening to Rabbi Arya Wolby of Torch in Houston, Texas. This is the Parsha Review Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Parsha Review. This week's Parsha is Parsha Tzav. It's the second portion in the book of Ayikra and the 25th portion since the beginning of the Torah. We're almost at the midpoint of the Torah. There are 96 verses in this week's Parsha, 1,353 words, and 5,096 letters. We repeat this every week because we need to remember and we need to instill in our consciousness that there isn't a single extra letter, word, or verse in the Torah. If it's there, there's a reason. There's something to learn from it. God wants us to connect with each and every word, each and every letter, and of course, each and every verse in the Torah. There are 18 mitzvahs in this week's parsha, nine performative and nine prohibitions. This week is also Shabbos Hagadol, which we're going to talk about a little bit later in a separate segment for the Jewish Inspiration Podcast. And we're going to discuss the uniqueness of this Shabbos and why it's called Shabbos Hagadol. So Hashem tells Moshe to command Aaron, Aaron the priest, and his sons on the offerings and teach them the additional laws relating to the services. The Ola, the burnt offering, is brought by one who forgot to perform a positive commandment. The Kohanim of those offerings, when the Kohanim bring those offerings, they keep the skins. Now we have to remember that the Kohanim were actually pretty well off because they got a lot of food. Uh, They would eat a steak dinner every night from all the offerings that were brought. They would get many gifts that were brought to the temple. They were brought that people would bring the Maaser for the Kohanim and uh, they they did uh, very well, but they had a very big responsibility going along with it. The fire on the altar was always to remain ablaze. The Kohanim were responsible to ensure that it never extinguishes. The Kohen would remove the ashes every morning after changing into the special linen clothings, and the ashes would disappear from It would be placed in a specific area, in a specific spot, and then the ashes would disappear miraculously. A special mincha offering of flour and oil, like we mentioned last week, is to be offered by Aharon and his sons. But for the Kohen Gadol, each day they would bring one. And by Aaron's sons, the minor Kohanim, they would be brought only one time on the day of their own personal inauguration. So the first day that they would bring offerings, the first day that they would be doing the services in the temple, they would bring that special offering, the mincha offering. A handful is burned on the altar and a kohen eats the remainder before it becomes leaven. The carbon chatas, the sin offering, sacrifice, the carbon brought after certain accidental transgressions is described as are the details of slaughtering and sprinkling the blood of the asham, the guilt offering. The blood would be sprinkled on the altar. The details of shalamim, the peace offering, the various kinds are described, as well as the prohibitions against leaving it uneaten until morning, and the parts that would remain would need to be burned after their time passes. A sacrifice slaughtered with the intention of eating it too late, may not be eaten. Once they have become ritually impure, karbanot may not be eaten and should be burned. 
one Kohen may not eat a carbon when he is ritually impure. So if a Kohen was not ritually pure, he cannot eat from any of the offerings until he would be ritually purified again, and then he would be able to eat from those offerings. The blood and the chelev, chelev is the fat, and some certain animal fats are prohibited to be eaten ever by a Jew. And we mentioned previously that all of our kosher meat is properly soaked, salted, and washed so that all of the blood is removed from the meat before it's eaten, as the Torah commands us. Aaron and his sons are granted the breast and shank of every shalom and peace offering. Moshe oversaw the officiation over the inaugural process, and Aaron and his sons were forbidden to leave the Mishkan the entire time. Moshe ordains and initiates Aaron and his sons to become Kohanim, as Hashem told him in the portion of Tetzaveh. Moshe dresses Aaron with the eight special priestly gar- high priest garments and then poured the anointing oil on the altar and on Aharon. Moshe then dressed the sons of Aaron with the four special priestly garments. Aaron and his sons brought a bull as a sacrifice upon the altar. Aaron and his sons ate the meat from the offering and remained in the Mishkan for the entire seven days. And the rest of the inauguration ceremony for the Mishkan and all of the other vessels are detailed in this week's parsha. So some quick important lessons about this week from this week's parsha. Number 1 is the Talmud says that if one studies the Torah section of a korban, the Torah views it as if he brought that offering. So, you know, if you look at the Rambam, if you look at the Mishnah, you guys a third of the Mishnah is not relevant today. It talks about the offerings. It's, in fact, actually half of it is not relevant. Because if you look at Zerayim, the order of Zerayim, which is talking about the seeds, the things, that the agriculture, today we don't have a temple. So we didn't bring those offerings from our fields to the temple. So that's one section of the, of the, of the Mishnah. Another section of the Mishnah is holidays that we do have. Then we have, of which, by the way, some of the tractates, like Yoma, talks about the offerings that were brought in the temple on Yom Kippur. We don't have a temple today. We don't have our holy Beis Hamikdash in Jerusalem. It's not. We don't have our third temple yet. We pray for it every day. So there are parts of even the holidays section. Then we have women's issues. A lot of the women's issues were not are not relevant either today because we don't have the court. We don't have the Bezdin, the Sanhedrin sitting in the temple. So for example, the Sota, there's no, the, the whole tractate of Sota is not relevant today. So, and then we have damages, which is relevant today. We have, we have although tractate Sanhedrin, which is not relevant because we don't have Sanhedrin today. We don't have the temple, so we don't have the presiding court. But then we have Kachim and Taharas. Kachim is all of the holy offerings that were brought in the temple, not relevant. The whole section, it's an entire, there are 11 separate tractates in the section of Kachim, which is not relevant at all today. And then we have 12 dealing with purity, with the dealing with the temple and the spiritual ritual purity. Only one tractate of the 12 in that section that are relevant is Nida which is 
Observe today, family purity. So the question is, if there's so much that's not relevant, why, why even keep it part of the Torah? The Talmud tells us, guess what? Although you can't perform it today in the temple, you can perform it as if you actually physically performed it in the temple by learning it. When we learn about the offerings, when we learn about the Sanhedrin, when we learn about all of these incredible teachings of the Torah, it's as if we observed those laws. It's as if we fulfilled it. Imagine if you can go to Hawaii just by reading a book. You just read a book and it's as if you went. Well, you, it's like you experienced it. You'll get the full impact of that trip as if you went there. Lahavdil elef is not to compare between unholy and holy. The Torah tells us that by learning and reading these chapters in the Torah and reading these verses and learning the Mishnah and learning the Talmud of these areas of the Torah that are not applicable today, it's as if we observed it. So we have a shortcut. And that's why many people include karbanot, they include the offerings in their prayer. Right after the morning blessings and right before the psalms of praise, there is karbanot that are recited because it's as if you brought the offerings. Another very important thing is that sin comes from arrogance. And the sacrifices that God really desires are a broken spirit, a heart broken and humbled, as King David says in chapter 51, verse 19 of Psalms. Hashem desires a broken heart. Why? Because a broken heart is a humble person. A humble person is what God desires. That's more valuable to God than anything else in the world. God wants us to be connected with him. God wants us to feel a closeness to him. There's no way to feel close to God if we're arrogant. It's a barrier that does not allow us to connect to God when we are arrogant. Now, I included here 10 amazing miracles that the Mishnah says happen every single day in the temple. Number one is that a woman never miscarried because of the aroma of the sacrificial meat. You know, sometimes if a woman is pregnant and she gets nauseated from, from an odor, she gets nauseated from something, she, it can harm the, the baby inside her. If a woman is frightened and is, is in fear, it can, it can affect a fetus inside her. No woman miscarried because of the aroma from the sacrificial offerings. No, number two is the sacrificial meat never spoiled. Imagine if you had meat that never spoiled. Number three, a fly was never seen in the area of the Mishkan where the offerings were brought. It's like a slaughterhouse. The fly, a fly was never seen there. We know that the flies love, you know, what, whether it be blood or it be the meat that has been slaughtered. Flies, that's where they, that's where they camp out. That's where they get the good food. Guess what? A fly never flew there. It was a special miracle. Number four, the high priest never had a seminal emission on Yom Kippur. Number five, the rain never extinguished the fire from the altar. There was a constant fire. The Ner Tamid 
which always burned in the temple, which, by the way, in our synagogues, we try to emulate what happened in the temple. And we also have in our synagogues a ner tamid. We have a light that is constantly burning in the temple, in our synagogues, to represent and to reflect the fire that was always burning in the temple. But that fire was never extinguished. And we know that there was smoke that rose from the altar all the way to the heavens. And when a wind blew, it never moved. It never veered away the smoke. It was a straight pillar of smoke that went all the way from the altar up to the heavens. And number seven, the Omer offering, the two loaves and the showbread were never found to be invalid or unfresh. We know the miracle of the showbread that Friday to Friday they remained warm and fresh and didn't spoil. Number eight, the viewers and visitors at the temple would stand crowded together. It says that their feet, the toes of one person's feet, would be touching the heels of the person in front of them. And yet, when they bowed, there was ample space for everyone. Because when you bow, it takes a lot more room than when you're standing. They were shoulder to shoulder. They were all, you know, tight sardines in the temple area in the old courtyard. But yet, when they needed to bow down as part of the service on Yom Kippur, there was plenty of room. There was ample room for everyone there. As the commentaries explain, that the temple was like the hide of a deer. It was like the hide of a deer. The hide of a deer, when you take it off, the deer, when you skin the deer, it shrivels up and becomes, you can't, you can't pull it back over the deer. The only way for that hide to expand is by growing on the deer. It expands from within. It says that the temple, although it was a limited space, it expanded from within. When the more Jews came to the temple, the more space there was. There was always room for everyone. Imagine 15, 20, 30 million people coming up to the temple, experiencing the service on Yom Kippur, or coming for Pesach to the pilgrimage and bringing their offerings from all over the world. There was room for everyone, always. Another thing, is that a snake or scorpion never harmed in Jerusalem. And then the last, finally, number 10, is a person never said to his fellow, it is too crowded for me to lodge overnight in Jerusalem. There's always room in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the heart of the people, and there's always room in the heart. And then, finally, the last two pieces here is that the Kohanic roles were selected by lottery. So our sages tell us in the Talmud, in the Mishnah, that they would choose a lottery of who would bring the offerings because it used to be at the early stages of the service in the temple, they would have a race. And the race would whoever can get up to the top of the ramp and back down fastest would be the one chosen to do the service because everything needed to be done with zrizus, with alacrity, with, a, with an excitement. And someone who's motivated more will do things faster. So they would have a race. Who can go up and down the ramp of the altar? And whoever would win would be the Kohen chosen. But everyone really, really wanted to do the service and the offerings in the temple. They wanted to do the service. 
So what would they do? They would nudge the guy running next to them, knock him off the ramp, and people would get injured. They would fall down. So that was stopped, and instead it became a lottery, and the lottery was chosen, and the Kohen was selected based by a lot, based on a lottery, and that way they would bring their, they would have their choice. But there's another very, very fascinating thing that we learned from the ramp. There's actually two pieces of very important wisdom that we need to take from this ramp that was leading to the altar. And that is the Torah values constant growth. You see, there's no way to stagnate on a ramp. There's no way to stagnate on a ramp. You can stagnate on a staircase. So I'll give you an example. You're on your on your way to vacation. You're about to lock the door to your house and you know kiss your mezuzah, and you're on your way to the airport to travel to wherever you're going to travel on vacation. You take a ball and you put it on the staircase. You secure it. When you come back after your two-week vacation, where's that ball going to be? It'll be right there in the same place where you left it. It'll be sitting there on that staircase. Why? Because you can stagnate on a staircase, but you cannot stagnate on a ramp. If you put a ball on a ramp, what's going to happen? You're either kicking it up the ramp or it's rolling down the ramp. There's no stagnation. And our sages teach us that this is the symbolism of Judaism. You don't stagnate in Judaism. You're either going up or you're going down. And we talk about this a lot in our uh, philosophy here at Torch, that there is no Reformed Jew in the world. There's no Orthodox Jew. There's no conservative Jew. There's no Reconstructionist Jew. That's labels and that's nonsense. There's no such thing. You're either a growing Jew or you're a stagnant Jew. There's no such thing as a Reformed Jew, a conservative, Orthodox, Reconstructionist. That's baloney. You can feel good. You have an affiliation. That's great. We encourage affiliation. Everyone should learn and everyone should grow and everyone should be part of a community that's growing but not to stagnate. There are two types of Jews, growing Jews and stagnant Jews. And here at Torch, we're completely invested in every single Jew being a growing Jew. Another thing we learn from the ramp is that there's no pre-engineered growth. You see, when an engineer puts together a staircase, you know, they do it at about six and a half inches, each step, one from the other. So, why? Because that's the height that most people can take a step, one leg going up from step to step. But you know what? That's discrimination. Because my little baby, who's just learning how to walk, can't lift up her leg six and a half inches to go from one step to another. And my grandmother, when she was really, really old, couldn't lift up her leg six and a half inches to go from one step to another. And a little child, or actually a teenager, one step is not enough. They're going four steps at a time. They're running up those steps. So it's pre-engineered growth. That doesn't work in Judaism. Therefore, in the temple, there was a ramp. Because every person can take their own size step. It's no pre-engineered growth. You need to know you best, and you take the step that's appropriate for you. A person needs to be always in an upward motion, but take the right step for you. What's good for your neighbor, what's good for your friend, what's good for your sibling is not necessarily what's right for you. And therefore, every person needs to take their own size step. 
And finally, the last important lesson for this week is that all the sacrifices must be burned after they may no longer be eaten. What does it mean after they may no longer be eaten? You know why? Because there's a specific, proper time for everything. King Solomon tells us, there is a right time for everything. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to cry. There's a time to dance. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to celebrate. And there's a time to do other things. There is a proper time for the service in the temple. And it needed to be in that time. We have to recognize that for everything in our lives, there is a proper time for everything. And sometimes we get carried away and we try to, you know, put laughter into times that are supposed to be sad. When someone is mourning in a house of Shiva, I went sadly, a friend of mine, when I was in New York this week, he's sitting Shiva for his child that passed away. His child was special needs in, in, in a handicapped state for many, many years. And sadly, their child passed away. That's not a time to joke around. That's not a time to be lightheaded. It's a very serious morning that they're going through. And I went to visit my friend, and it's it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, we're friends. We haven't seen each other in a long time, and we want to high-five and, you know, schmooze. It's not the right time. It's a time of mourning. We have to recognize that bringing an offering, there was a right time to eat that offering. Why? Because let's say the offering was a sin offering, meaning that this was an atonement and a person who was bringing it had remorse for the sin they've done. There's a right time frame where a person still feels that remorse, that sadness. I betrayed my relationship with God. And therefore, eat it within that time frame. Before you pass on to the next mood, you turn on, you're moving on to the next uh, mode in your life, and now you're just joyous and happy and frivolous perhaps and overjoyed with comedy. No, 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 no. There's a proper time when things need to happen, which is why it's amazing that we have Shabbos every week because as soon as candlelighting comes, boom, that's the proper time when Shabbos begins. And when Shabbos ends, the halacha tells us extend it a little bit. So we extend it on both ends. We take in Shabbos 18 minutes prior to sunset and we try to take Shabbos out a little bit after the stars come out at night on Saturday night because there's a proper time for the observance of Shabbos and we want to add a little bit to that time. But at the very least, it's from sunset to stars out. Hashem should bless us all that we should merit to bring those beautiful offerings to Hashem in our third temple that will be rebuilt speedily in our day. And we should never need to bring a sin offering, never need to bring a guilt offering, but rather always bring thanksgiving offerings all the time, thanking Hashem for all of the goodness He bestows upon us every single day. My dear friends, have a magnificent Shabbos, and thank you so much for joining us today.